Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Art Blog Radio. I'm your host for today, Whit Lopez. I'm super excited to be sitting in the middle of the gallery at Color Space Labs. If you're not familiar with Color Space Labs, it's a really beautiful space located in the Kensington part of North Philadelphia at 1714 Masher Street. I'm here because I'm getting ready to interview the amazing Emma Russell, who has a photography uh, show that's going to be opening here on first Friday of October. Welcome to the show, Emma. Thank you so much, Wit. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to be here, too. This is great. This is really cool. It's a really beautiful space. If you haven't been here, definitely come see Emma's show so you can experience the space and also experience Emma's artistry. So, Emma, I really love this work. I really love what you're doing with it. I love how you're staging photography. You're staging this photography of food in a way that I've actually never seen food photography staged. So what got you into using photography as a medium to look at food in this way? So thank you so much. I'm so glad to hear that this is something new that you haven't seen before. That's exactly what I want to hear. Um, I started photographing food um, when I was in school studying photography at Bard College um, about four or five years ago. And um, I started focusing on food maybe around my junior year or so when I kind of realized that over the past, you know, few years before then, I had been kind of gravitating towards photographing food a lot, but not in a very intentional way. And so around the same time, I uh, discovered Dutch still life painting for the first time. Mm. I remember wandering into um, a gallery in, I think it was the Smithsonian in DC, and just seeing like a room full of these gorgeous paintings of food. And it honestly kind of changed my life. Like I had no idea a picture of food could be so captivating. Absolutely. So after that, I was kind of thinking like, hmm, could I do something similar with photography? And um, so I was looking at painting for a while. I was also looking at other kind of uh, photographers in the history of photography who have focused on food. And I realized that I wanted to see how I could contribute to the conversation, but do something that sort of pulled these different um, histories of food and art and kind of made something new, like a, like a hybrid <laughs> of many different things, but also um, you know, trying to use food to, to say something new. Yeah. And I think you're doing that. I definitely think you're achieving that. Um, I'm... Yeah, I'm excited about it. I'm excited to get into speaking about it. So I, one of the first things that I noticed about your work was the piece Altar. Yes. Which is what looks like a white altar, like a, almost like a church altar, maybe like Episcopalian or Presbyterian. Uh, and, uh, but what's coming off of it on the right-hand side of the photo, it looks like uh, one of those gum rolls. Totally, <laughs> yes. Like bubble gum in a, in a roll that's like... <laughs> Coming off, it's hanging off of the altar, but then it's also piled on the floor in mm. front of it. Um, can you speak about that? Like, what what drew you to using the altar in the space, but then also like putting gum on the altar? Totally. Talk more about well, that. I'm really glad that you started with that piece because I think that that is a photo where I'm really kind of. Um, trying to bring in a lot of these different ideas that I'm exploring in this series, um, in this one photo. So first of all, you're right that it's on an altar, a white marble altar in a, like a pink church. 
And yeah, I was in a Catholic church that has actually now been converted into artist space, an artist mm. space in upstate New York. But it had the most gorgeous light, and I, my friends were doing a project there, so I was like, hmm, I want to come in and photograph here. So, um, and that's something that's really important to me. Like most, all of my photos are made outside of a studio, mm. um, which is a very conscious decision for me because as kind of nice as it would be to sort of like have my photos all be kind of made in this similar place, it's really important for me to be out in the world where external imagery can kind of come into the photo and be a part of the photo. So yeah, this altar is on a location and it's also something that I think you can see when it's blown up in the larger size is that it's totally fake. So it's like painted marble and <laughs> I really love that kind of like kitschy element um, because that's something that I definitely have explored a lot in my photos in the past is you know um, having real foods and fake foods and you know real objects real animals fake objects and animals and I love when someone's looking at something and they don't really quite know if it's real or not or even what it is or what it isn't so that's what I loved about the altar. And I have, and you know, the fact that I am in a church photographing this very distinctive um, kind of like religious imagery is a new idea in this series that I'm showing um, this month. Um, because I am kind of thinking about the connection of food and religion and the usage of food in religious iconography. And especially in Dutch still life painting, um, all of the foods that you see in those in those in those paintings, um, you know, like grapes and lemons and pomegranates and fish, they all have such um, distinct, important symbolic meaning. And you can really kind of interpret this religious narrative from looking at what foods are used. And I wouldn't say that religion is a big part of my life, but I am definitely really interested in kind of like taking a piece of food and examining the, you know, wealth of meaning it can embody. And that's something that's, you know, a very, I think, religious idea. Um, and then lastly, yes, I have a piece of bubble tape on the <laughs> altar that is kind of like draping over the edge and falling on the floor. And going back to that idea of kitsch, like for me, a roll of bubble tape is like so like 90s childhood. It is, it is nostalgia. very 90s. Very <laughs> 90s childhood. So so when I saw that, I was like, oh, <laughs> where's the fruit by the foot to go totally. with it? And I think that like the foods that we experienced as kids, you know, are, are kind of like some of our most vivid food associations or food memories. Definitely. So I wanted to think about, you know, the, I think that a lot of people looking at a roll of bubble tape can, can almost conjure the sensation of chewing that bubble tape. And I, I love that maybe it will connect viscerally with people. And then, okay, lastly, this is kind of a more recent realization I had, but I kind of think that like that bubble tape unrolling on the floor could, it's kind of a stretch, but could kind of look like um, intestines, maybe? <laughs> I think that's fantastic. And um, that's another thing I'm thinking a lot about in this series, which is the way foods like feel in our body. 
and um, I personally have like digestive issues. Woo, so same, glamorous. Same. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Twinsies. Wow, twins. <laughs> <laughs> and I've learned recently that I think that that's part of maybe why I'm so continuously interested in foods is that mm. like it's a very vivid thing for me, like um, eating some foods versus others and the way that they very like distinctly make my body feel. And so, yeah. yeah, maybe bubble tape as intestines. I don't mm. know. <laughs> no, I love that. I love that. So something else that I noticed about your work. So that piece that we're talking about, Alter, is from 2018. Yes. And I noticed that your work seems to span from 2016 to 2019. Yes. Okay. So there's a piece that you have that's from 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm probably going to say this wrong. Is it High FODMAP? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Great. Great. Um, so oh yeah, good. So I I looked at it caught my eye because it's first of all I don't know exactly what I'm looking at, so I can't even say oh the part that looks like this is this, but what I do recognize is that there's broccoli and it seems to be on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and, and since you mentioned having religious iconography in your work, I'm wondering if the broccoli on fire is any reference to the burning bush that we know from the Old Testament. If not, don't let me put meanings into your work that don't exist. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but the other thing that I had a question about is what exactly is the pink thing that's mm. kind of piled up at the bottom? And since you mentioned intestines in your last piece that we spoke about, I'm wondering if this pink paste of some sort or whatever it is that's kind of piled up it looks very intestinal and so I have questions I have questions uh one that question about the burning bush with the broccoli on fire and two the question about this pink thing and whether or not it's meant to symbolize intestines the answer is yes 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 (laughs) I love it ding 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 do I win a prize yeah So I actually hadn't thought about the burning bush, but I love that. Um, I think that's an amazing interpretation. And something I have realized as I've shown my work to more people is that I think that an important part of my practice has got to be showing photos to people and really, um, you know, listening to what people see that I may have not seen because that's part of what I'm doing. I'm kind of like presenting these foods in these crazy tableaus. And, you know, I have what I intended, but then all the photos I think are kind of like vague and open-ended enough that I really am trying to invite people to create their own stories about what they're seeing. Um, So that's like my favorite interpretation I've ever heard. (laughs) Oh, yay. (laughs) I think that's the prize I won. That's so nice. Um, But then also, yes, the pink kind of intestinal things that you're seeing, I was very much thinking about, um, again, like digestive things. Um, I don't know if they actually are animal intestines, but they are like... they are animal product that I bought at the um, the Hong Vuong uh, Vietnamese supermarket in South Philadelphia, which is my favorite place to shop for my props because I just cannot believe the like beautiful, amazing things that they have there that I've never seen before. Um, so this photo um, that you mentioned, high FODMAP, um, it might be like my 
self-portrait <laughs> in a photo. That's um, real. That's real. <laughs> Hi, I Fod. felt that way. <laughs> <laughs> FODMAP um, is an abbreviation for like the group of foods that um, that folks with IBS should avoid. <laughs> Again, so glamorous. Um, but I recently discovered maybe a year ago that like broccoli, though it's my favorite vegetable, is probably the food that brings me the most physical pain. Same. Same. <gasps> wow. Same. I can't I think, believe this connection. I think, that's, I think that's why I was drawn to the broccoli on fire because I was like, yes, burn it. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Yes. Just kidding. But so yes. that's literally what I did. I set the broccoli on fire and then it's kind of like on top of this pile of intestines. And yeah, that basically says it all. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I, yeah, like I, I also have IBS and I cannot eat broccoli unless I want to feel like I'm dying. So, yeah. so seeing that. And uh, I don't know if you like broccoli, but I. I used to love it raw with like nothing on it. And wow. then when someone introduced me to like ranch dressing, I was <gasps> like. <gasps> it's honestly a amazing. match made in heaven. It really is. Yeah. It really is. So the day that my body was just like, we don't want this anymore. <laughs> We're just going to punch you from the inside. Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Then, uh. Yeah, so it's yeah. like a, it's a bittersweet thing. It's a bittersweet. It thing. really is. It's nice to learn what um, what's hurting you, <laughs> but Absolutely. it also can be a little bit sad for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's another. The other photograph in this series is um, uh, the photo of scorched earth, which is um, a similar type of idea, but it's cauliflower. So. I have, I roasted a head of cauliflower to the point where it was pretty much like burnt. Um, and then I kind of wanted to make this like desert-like landscape where I had kind of like crispy, dry bread and this like burnt cauliflower. And I even have like some matches which are on fire. And yeah, I kind of wanted to depict like the way the inside of my body <laughs> feels when I eat roasted cauliflower. <laughs> I, I understand. I feel like I feel this so personally that I'm just like amazing. <laughs> brilliant work. <laughs> I mean, it is amazing work and it is brilliant and I love how it conveys those things because for me, for somebody, you know, who has IBS but who also has like a lot of food allergies and food mm. intolerances, like a lot of food feels like fire. <laughs> wow, yeah. Like a lot of food hurts. Yeah. Um, a lot of food can kill me. So I, mm. I appreciate seeing this represented um, because this also kind of makes this into, you know, a conversation about disability justice, mm. you know, and, and so I appreciate that. I appreciate when folks bring their whole selves into their work too. And so seeing this, like, it's definitely something that I can identify with. And so for me as a person with IBS and who knows the pain and the struggle of this, like I'm really appreciating that you took the time to make your own experiences known so that oh, those of us who are also experiencing it can look at it and identify with you and also see ourselves in the work as well. So thank you. This is, this is really lovely. I, I'm really thank enjoying you. it. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, I feel like I've kind of just come to the point in my work where it is really about my personal experience with food. Um, when I first started photographing food, I really kind of wanted to, I was really um, not there yet. I was, I was thinking about beauty 
and um, kind of like uh, subverting the viewer by you know drawing someone in with a beautiful photograph of food, but then there was something kind of like grotesque or not so beautiful hidden in the image. And now I think my work, I hope, has kind of evolved to a place where I am kind of feeling like I'm ready to talk about my personal experience with food. And then I'm hoping that maybe the next step as I go forward is kind of talking about some of these like bigger universal issues where a lot of people do suffer from these things and they can kind of be invisible. And um, I would love to reach more people on that level. So notes for the future, definitely. No, that's awesome. That's really awesome. So something else that I noticed about your work is uh, what looks like the presence of roe uh, or, oh, or fish yeah. eggs. Fish yeah. eggs for folks who are like, roe? Like Roe v. Wade? Like, no, we're not <laughs> <Right>. talking about <laughs> But I do have questions about that as well. Uh, so roe, fish eggs. So you have a yes. lot of things that are orb-like in clusters in, in your work. I know they're not all roe but some of them definitely seem like they might be. In mm. your piece that's called Red Sea, I'm not sure if that's, uh, is that octopus legs? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we have octopus legs and what looks like row surrounding it. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that it started out with this interest in um, the shape of like the sphere, definitely. And um, that shape appears throughout the work. So the yeah, the piece that you're talking about, Red Sea, are these like, octopus legs that are kind of surrounded by row and then this kind of like red sauce on this red background and then um, next to that piece I have um, I have a piece uh, red beets and olive oil which are these like orbs of these three red beets um, that are like glistening and then next to that I have a piece that also has this like series of circular silver platters so I have to say that it's mostly about shape um, mm. and texture, and um, but it is a really interesting. I think it it it's really significant when you have eggs in a photograph or you depict eggs because Absolutely. that is another thing that is so full of of symbolic meaning for sure. Um, but you know, Red Sea is for me so much about conveying this feeling via textures and um, for me seeing like an octopus leg with like the suckers I just think it's like one of the most gorgeous shapes in nature mm. like the fact that there's an animal that's like this deep purple with these like beautiful I don't suckers that are its mode of transportation and eating like wow um, and then you know the the sauce that I used is actually this like incredibly spicy red pepper relish and um, I just kind of want people to think about the beauty and pain when looking at that image for mm. sure yeah wow so another another one of the photos that also has these orb like things that look like Roe but they aren't, and I know what they are. They're those little melon candies oh, that are so good. The most delicious melon candy. <laughs> they really are. <laughs> they are so amazing. Um, so I noticed this one, and it, it's, yeah, I really like it. I really like it. Like, it's very dark, and it draws your eye in towards the green, 
But once you start looking at the green, then you start to notice what it's surrounding. Mm. So that one's called with Silky, Melon, and Jade. And it's a yes. piece from 2019. Can you tell me more about what that is that we're looking at that's surrounded by candy? Absolutely. So what you're seeing in that photograph is a silky chicken, which is a chicken that has black skin. And it's laying, it still has its head on, and it's laying on top of this mountain of little green melon candies and then in the background is a jade plant and it's a very dark image it's like the background's almost totally black with this one spotlight on the chicken and the candies and it's basically a photograph that makes no sense like I don't think there would ever be a reason <laughs> to place a chicken on top of a mountain of candies um, but it kind of goes back to something that was really that I was thinking a lot about when I started this project, which is about um, royal cuisine or cuisines that are um, a little bit more like elaborate and fancy and reserved for special occasions and have often been developed for royalty like mm. over in, in throughout history. And um, one instance that I've read a lot about, or, or where there is a lot of writing about this, is uh, Thai royal cuisine. Um, and when I was working on this project two years ago, I went on vacation and I went to Thailand for a little while, and, and Vietnam actually, and I was really amazed by these restaurants that um, served royal foods that were originally only served to royalty in palaces, but um, have then kind of over hundreds of years, um, you know, spread out where everybody can eat them. Um, and I'm hesitant to say that, you know, this work is about Asian royal cuisines because it's really not my area of expertise at all. But I love this idea of these really, um, you know, these uh, heightened foods that are only eaten on certain occasions. And I'm pretty sure that the silky chicken is um, typically used in a soup that was a very special occasion soup. And then I'm, I also felt like these melon candies, which I adore, um, I always have a stash of them in my bag because I love eating them all the time. They, to me, look like these beautiful green gemstones. And so I was thinking about, um, you know, kind of like, beauty and luxury, luxury. <laughs> but then it's also, you know, unfortunately a dead raw chicken. And so there is kind of that grotesque element as well. Yeah. I like that. I like that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's fantastic. So earlier I, I said Roe v. Wade mm. <laughs> after saying, after saying oh. Roe. But the reason why I mentioned it is because you have a piece from 2016 called birth control pills and my mother's favorite flower and what i noticed in this photo is that it's not just birth control pills it's not just uh this flower which are those hydrangeas they are okay. yes okay yes. <laughs> okay my brain still works <laughs> um but there's also oysters i yes. believe yes yeah so there's a there's a few a uh, few photos from 2016 that are in this series that contain oysters. So can you tell me a little more about this particular piece and why you mentioned birth control pills and your mother's favorite flower but made no hint at there being oysters in the photo as well? Mm, that's Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about the omission of oysters in the title. 
Um, but so that piece is one of the first photographs I made for this series, Trouble in the Garden. And when I made this back in 2016, I was coming off um, of a series of photos I had made that summer um, where I was still working primarily with food. And I, you know, was interested in kind of making more psychological images or um, kind of being a little bit more subversive than I had been up to that point. So this photo I made in my parents' backyard um, where there's a big hydrangea bush. And, you know, like I was talking about before, kind of like taking these foods that historically have a lot of meaning. Um, I would think that oysters are maybe the most, one of the most symbolic foods out there. Like, you know, usually you can't even eat oysters without someone mentioning the fact that it's an aphrodisiac. <laughs> it's just like, an oyster is never just an oyster. Um, and, you know, this was also right at the beginning of me thinking about, like, you know, the body and the way foods affect the body and pain and, um, I, you know, have these empty oyster shells that I have birth control pills in. And then there's also um, this kind of like milky substance, which is actually buttermilk that I have on top of them. Amazing. So it is a beautiful photo, but it's also very weird, especially the buttermilk, I think. Um, but, you know, I think I was trying to be subversive and talk about, you know, like, here are these oysters, but then here is this, like, medical element, which is also, you know, has a completely different sensation to look at that, but it's not unrelated. So, and as always, I'm so happy if someone else looks at that photo and takes a very personal meaning or sees something different. Um, I think it's one where it is kind of vague as to, you know, what I'm really trying to convey, but there are these very visceral elements there. Mm. Um, Thank you. Yeah, but then, as you were saying, there are other photographs with oysters um, in this series, and I think I kind of, like, pushed this point of oysters with this kind of, like, medical element further with this other image that we're looking at, oyster surgery, Um, and they're actually hung right next to each other in this show. I love it. Um, With oyster surgery, I was... (laughs) I actually think this is kind of a funny image. I learned about the process of um, growing uh, growing pearls in oysters, and I actually saw someone um, go through this procedure with an oyster, which seemed a little bit like a surgical procedure to me, where they pry the oyster open and they insert a grain of sand inside, and then they seal it back up with this red, like, antibiotic ointment. Um, Mm. And then the oyster stays alive and goes on to produce a pearl around that grain of sand. And um, I thought that was really interesting because, you know, like, we don't really just get pearls serendipitously most of the time. We're growing them, and I was surprised to see that it kind of seemed like a painful surgical procedure to, to, to grow this pearl. Um, And that really seemed like something that would make sense to depict as a photograph for me. Wow. I I think that's amazing. I think it's amazing that you compared the two things. I I really love it. And I love the photo itself as well. 
like it's like the it looks like oysters just kind of waiting mm. waiting to be next you know? <laughs> right they're kind of lined up there yeah they are they are I love that so in this other piece green ice cream dunes from 2019 mm. uh, when I first saw it I was like are these Brussels sprouts <laughs> 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 I now realize I was mistaken, but uh, yeah, can you, can you talk about that? Because that's a, a elephant model in the middle, right? It is, yes. Love those. Yeah. So I think that towards the the most recent images I've made in this project from from this year, I've been co- I've become more and more interested in kind of making these like little models of of a landscape or you know space and that's something I kind of talked about with scorched earth I was trying to make this like barren desert like landscape and with um with green ice cream dunes I did that and I put a little elephant model in there to kind of really look like a landscape photo with an animal in it um but the entire landscape is made out of scoops of green ice cream or pistachio ice cream to be more specific (laughs) um and, you know, I wish I had more to say about this one, <laughs> but it's really just about conveying, like, this distorted world and, um, you know, kind of like a super, almost like dolly like surreal landscape where you can make out, you know, familiar shapes and a sense of space, but it just absolutely makes no sense. And I think that it is, you know, kind of what I love to do, which is create an imaginary world where there are usually never humans in my photos. Um, Normally, if there is, you know, a recognizable living thing, it's an animal. Um, But I I love creating these, like, um, imaginary worlds where things sort of make sense but really don't make that much sense either. And, um, yeah, the elephant is very, another very symbolic object to place in a photograph, for sure. And I hope that people, you know, um, take away whatever it means to them to see an elephant in an image. Um, I love this particular particular elephant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I love it, too. And I love all your work. I know we didn't get a chance to talk about it all. But if we did, then it would ruin the show for folks who want to come here, right? They don't need uh, the previews. so <laughs> Right. Come out on, um, on Friday the 4th and see the rest of them. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Make your way down to Color Space Labs. Again, that's 714 Master Street in Kensington in North Philly. If you're taking the subway or the L, it's right near the Burke Street Station. It's a very short walk from the Burke Street Station on uh, on the Market Frankfurt line, also known as the L in the city. So make sure to make your way down here. And the show will be up from October 4th until October 28th, and it's opening on Friday, October 4th, which is first Friday in Philly at 6 p.m. So make sure you come down to see Emma Russell's Trouble in the Garden. Thank you so much, Emma, Thank for you. having me today and letting me talk to you about your really beautiful work. Thank you so much, Wit. I really appreciate it. Not a problem. This is, this is really fantastic. So thank you to all of you out there who are listening to Art Blog Radio. If you'd like to listen to this podcast, you can listen on our website. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Many thanks to the folks at Color Space Labs again for allowing us to record this podcast here today. Thanks and have a great day. Bye, y'all.